essentially they tried to do this whole flipperoo where <laughs> the bank acted up, made a mistake and acted foolishly. And then basically they were like, yeah, it's black people's fault. Basically, that's basically what they tried to do. Yo, everyone, welcome back to Brand New Techish in the Building. It's me, Michael Behane, and this week I am not joined by with Abadesi. It's her birthday week. She's chilling. So I said, you know what? Take the week off. Relax. I'm going to take over. I'll do a solo episode. And then actually, when it came time to do a solo episode, I said, you know what? I've got a better idea. Let's get producer Olivia on for the first time ever on any podcast. <laughs> uh, first time ever. We get producer Olivia has been working with us for how long you been with us now? Is it a few Ooh, months or it's been a good few months now, yeah. Good few months. Okay, yeah. She's normally behind the scenes making things happen. So I thought let's bring her on, get her to kind of help me dive deep into a subject that I know a lot of people have been super eager for us to talk about, which is the whole SVB nonsense. And I thought Olivia would basically provide more of a kind of beginner friendly perspective and kind of would be able to kind of ask the questions that maybe me and Abadesi wouldn't ask because we assume that, you know, everyone's up to speed on certain things. So I think let's get it cracking. Let's dive into it. So where do you want to begin? For sure. As you say, as the beginner, let's start right at the beginning. Um, <laughs> so we're talking about SVB. So in a nutshell, what exactly is SVB? We're going right back to the beginning. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So SVB is a bank, obviously. So you knew that part, right? You knew it was a bank. And um, yeah. it was the kind of go-to bank for, as the name kind of suggests, Silicon Valley and the go-to bank for a lot of tech startups. Reason being, if you're a startup and let's say you raise like 25 million, but you haven't got a profitable company, you don't have like a factory or something traditional that a bit, a normal bank can understand that a business would have. Let's say you're just, you know, a software as a service, you're a SaaS startup and you go to your traditional bank and say, can I get a loan? You know, we're going to pay it back. We're going to go public one day. We're going to be, we're going to be the next Amazon. We're going to be the next Uber. A traditional bank is going to be like, you ain't got no hardware. You ain't got no assets. We're not giving you that. Whereas Silicon Valley Bank understood tech, understood what it was. Silicon Valley Bank knew that if, let's say you raise money from a prominent venture capital firm like Sequoia or you're in YC they know what that meant that meant okay you're you're the real deal you're legit we can treat you in a certain way whereas normal banks just wouldn't in fact I'm actually hearing how like Silicon Valley Bank would allow companies to use their services in exchange for equity so they would be like okay you can use our services we know you're not making no money you're, you're not going to be profitable but you need to let us invest at like a cheaper discount basically to what the other investors are getting and we know that one of a hundred startups is going to become you know Amazon or Uber or maybe one of a thousand, whatever, right? And that will pay off all the other clients that we let use the bank. So essentially they were meant to be seen as a very savvy operator within the kind of tech ecosystem. And they allowed startups to have a banking partner that kind of understood what they were doing. Does that kind of un- like summarize maybe some of the confusion you might've had about what it, what it was? For sure. So it's a bank like for the techies, for the tech bros. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Although I've never used it. I don't know anyone personally, like in my circle of friends who had used it, but I had been to, they have an office in London here and I had been to one of their events they were and this is a part of the story that will come into play later they actually were very prominent within helping out people who were trying to make change within tech type of work that me and abadesi do so the event i went to they were hosting it for backstage capital which is a vc firm that targets underrepresented founders arlen hamilton is the you know the founder of that and when she wanted to set up a london team she hired a lot of people that i knew as well and silicon valley bank offered to allow them to have their demo day there to like let their startups pitch so i always knew them as like they were down they were cool they were really helping us well, no, I mean, listen, as much as, you know, a corporate entity is helping us, they were trying to do their bit, basically. Hey, everyone, you know what time it is. Time for us to pick up another podcast on the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We've got another show under 30 minutes. You know how much I love those. And it's I Digress, which helps to eliminate complexity, complications and confusions in your business with framework strategies to achieve scalable and sustainable success. Hosted by Troy Sandage. This podcast will give you the blueprint to grow and scale your business much faster. The I Digress podcast lets you learn marketing frameworks, sales tactics, business insights, 
Mindset Shifts and Proven Methodologies hosted by Troy Sandage, aka The Strategy Hacker, who's used these skill sets to launch over 35 plus brands and generate over 175 million, that's million dollars in revenue for clients worldwide. Go check it out. I digress. This is also a Webby nominated podcast. Go support that brother. He's doing his thing. I digress. So, okay, we've got the backstory. We know what Silicon Valley Bank is now. What questions do you have about what went down? Like, how confused were you by what was happening? Like, were you scared? What were you thinking? I mean, me personally, I am curious about the timeline. Like, when did it all start to go south? And like, how quickly did it go south? That's a very good question. I mean, you can circle back and say it went south when a certain Brer was elected president of the United States, Donald Trump. So <laughs> we're taking it way, way, way back. So after 2008, the recession, the recession that happened there, Obama put in a whole bunch of regulations to make it a lot harder for banks to just do fugazi stuff to be as reckless as they once were trump when he became in power reversed a lot of that of shock horror right trump making things worse so now we fast forward back into the future and back to our kind of normal timeline and essentially during covid we've got to keep it real a lot of tech startups were thriving a lot of businesses were booming a lot of startups were doing really well because everyone's stuck at home everyone is like yo i need alexa i need amazon i need my iphone i need tiktok keep me entertained i'm staying at yard so everyone was doing really well within tech and that's kind of slow down now but we'll get to that so deposits were flying freaking fast into into silicon valley bank so many people so many startups were starting companies opening up accounts companies were making so much money existing existing kind of clientele so there was a lot of money so they were sitting on 190 billion of deposits now what most people and even i don't tend to really think about we don't really think about that banks are a business banks make money how do they make money you deposit your money your money ain't just sitting there your money ain't chilling there your money is getting spent by them they are investing your money and then you might get a little bit of interest what that interest is is they've gone and taken your money money made money and they're giving you a little trinkle now that's all fine and dandy but what's happened now is they've invested a big portion of that money into things uh, like government bonds um like mortgage-backed securities which are meant to be like these super safe and stable things but now i, I don't want to be patronizing here yeah because even like do you are you familiar with bonds do you know what i it's it's a word i know but i don't know exactly it yeah <laughs> it's a word that we know and we hear oh yeah bond bond it's like what the fuck is a bond basically a bond is i let's say you're a government or a company i borrow you money for 10 years and and in that 10 years, you will give me a certain amount of money back on top. So what happened is Silicon Valley bought, Bank bought a lot of those bonds from the government. And I hope that in 10 years time, they will make some more money. So at the time, it was like a 1%, 2% interest rate environment. So what's happened now, the economy has kind of got a lot of inflation. So the Federal Reserve in America has decided to kind of push up interest rates. Now, what does that mean? That means that basically I'm sitting on a bond that basically is only going to pay me 1% or 2%. But now there are new bonds that are paying 4 5 6%. What bond is anyone going to want to own? It's going to be the one that's paying the most money. So now what I'm sitting on a Silicon Valley bank is worth a lot less. So they were sitting on mad losses. On top of that, because the interest rates have gone up, a lot of startups have been whacked. A lot of startups are now like dead in the water. So now the deposits are going down. So double whammy, deposits are going down and what they have invested in has gone down. So they were like, yo, we need to sell shares like of our company so we could kind of shore up these losses. Now that was where it went to really go wrong because essentially at that point, actually, sorry, are you following so far? So you, you're following so I'm far how so they've far, lost their money. Yeah. Okay, cool. So now... They've gone and sold shares, which has alerted a lot of very savvy VCs to say, hmm, hold on, what's going on in here? Like, something, something ain't right. Something These missed. dudes, yeah, something's amiss. These dudes, very scrupulous operators, shrewd operators, decide to tell all their startups, get your money out now. Something ain't right. Okay, so far, so good. Yep. Get your money out right now. 
And it starts essentially with a bank run where everyone's trying to pull their money out. And hey, presto, the bank's collapsed and needs to go into kind of government ownership. Does that all make sense? Is that all clarified now? It does, yeah. I mean, how long did all of that take? That's a good question, actually. I think it was very rapid. Very, very rapid. And I think, to be honest, the moment you warn about a bank run, you create a bank run. So a lot of VCs were basically saying, oh, I think this bank might collapse. Get your money out. That is basically sending a signal to everyone else like mm. what, what do you do if you're someone who has money in that account if i tell you that your local bank your hsbc your netwest actually there's a chance that it might collapse everyone's just gonna just you know you might as well be safe than sorry and pull your money out i did notice a few prominent even black founders actually that i know in the scene say they weren't going to do it because in their mind they were like yeah. if we just if everyone just says hold on let's not do it then everything will be okay and there's no need for this to happen but unfortunately, the way game theory works, everyone just panicked and just upped and took their money out. And hey, presto, now the bank has gone into government ownership. Well, I mean, so what does that mean now? You say that there are some founders who had money there but didn't pull it out. I mean, what's happened? What's happened to their yeah, money? So, to the bank itself? So it was a weekend where we didn't know what was going to happen. Like there's a weekend where we were like, yo, what's going to happen? Before we know, payroll's going to come on Monday and people can't afford to pay their team. That's it, they're done like. And I spoke to a founder recently at a party who is the chief operating officer at a very large tech company that's very prominent within the startup world. And they were like, yeah, we didn't come Monday. We were like, that's it, we're done. Like we can't pay our people. Maybe we're gonna have to make some phone calls and beg people to like beg our investors to, to invest a little bit more. But for all intents and purposes, it was a wrap for a lot of people. You were basically out of business. You got no money. You can't pay people. You can't pay staff. That's it. But what happened is there was calls. I'm guessing a lot of VCs pressurized politicians, called up the right people, and they basically said we're gonna guarantee everyone's deposits. So what? we've learned now and what most people now are aware is that like your deposits in your bank are only guaranteed to a certain amount in the u.s it's 250 grand which is still a decent size of money for an average person but for businesses that are like you know having thousands of employees it's nothing in the uk actually it's only 85k and we're going to come on to like actionable steps for startup founders so yeah if you you have more than you know 85k and your bank goes under the rest of whatever's you know you're only getting 80k back basically or 85k back so essentially the government in the u.s is basically guaranteeing everyone's deposits and everyone's good. I think now recently it's come out that they that SVB has been sold to like another bank, whatever's remaining uh, on the books. So it kind of all worked out. Okay. Some people were critical and saying, yo, this is basically a bailout, like just like a 2008 where like right. you're basically letting people off the hook who should face the consequences of their actions in the sense that like if you're a poor person and you fuck up your life you take out a student loan that weren't looking right you take the wrong degree you you know take the wrong job you can't pay your rent there's no bailout it's like Mm. people are just like yo the market is the market capitalism is capitalism there's winners and losers you've lost bada bing bada boom you know what i'm saying (laughs) and there's a harsh perspective that might say if you as a business because this whole 250 limit thing it's not a secret it's not like this is some deep dark secret it's not like scientology where you gotta get to level 25 and they'll tell you about the aliens and xenu this is like everyone knows this basically right so for all intents and purposes you can make the argument hey this is capitalism you put your money in a bank that was dodgy the bank lost your money you're gonna get your 250 back and maybe going forward now everyone's gonna be super careful about where they put their money you're not just gonna say oh here's a little startup bank i'm gonna put my money here no you're gonna be like i want a very safe secure bank that isn't playing you know crazy risks right Mm. i think that's a bit harsh i do think that's a bit harsh i think a lot of businesses would have unnecessarily went under but i do think while we can say it's not technically a bailout because the shareholders of Silicon Valley Bank are bust, the executives, whatever, whatever, it's just the depositors. It is a bailout for VCs because VCs were obviously shit scared that all of their investments were going to zero and they pressurized the government to help back out 
and help save their investments. These were not like neutral parties. These were not like, oh, this is a tragedy. We don't want to see this happen. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. These were people who were like, yo, my investment's on the line. Yeah, I got stakes here. This is my investment. This is my entire net worth. Like I can't see 100, you know, of my portfolio, com- portfolio companies just disappear overnight. Um, So it's a complicated question. I do think it was the right call to make because I think what would have happened is everyone would have pulled their money out of every bank that basically wasn't a super giant bank. And that probably would have caused more mayhem than most people are, you know, capable of accepting. But it does come with complexity. Yeah, like you don't don't get help when it's a normal person when you're the average person but if you're a vc and you got the phone you got the phone number of a politician a senator or whatever whatever you can make things happen that can back you out of your own mistakes silicon valley the tech industry in general we like to pretend that we are rugged individualist individualists that we made it on ourselves nobody helped us the government's in the way get out of my way cut my taxes i don't need your help and the reality is when shit goes wrong we're crying to daddy please help us I don't want the harsh market forces messing up my bank account. Help me. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? And that's fine. I'm not against that, but I'm not the one sitting there saying that we did it on our own and we, you know, the government's just, you know, a problem and we should pay no taxes. I think that's a contradiction that I think a lot of people are going to have to look in the mirror and, and, and do some soul searching. They probably won't, but <laughs> that's, that's, that's a, a sad indictment of the whole situation. Yeah. Sorry. What are you going to say? What does this now mean for tech companies? Like are there ripple effects that, are there ripple effects that are being felt? It's very hard to make predictions, but I would definitely say on my end, I definitely started looking at, I need to find some old ass banks to put my company's money in now. I am not, I have been actually, you're not uh, taking- risks i'm not taking the risk and i had actually been very like open to like a lot of like new banks so like we've got a lot of startup banks called like starlin and tide and they're kind of like monzo but for like entrepreneurs basically and these are very like new entities and i've been like well a bank is a bank it's all good you know what's the difference actually a bank isn't a bank there's there's levels to this do you know what i'm saying so i have been like decided to open up a bunch of new bank accounts for my business and while and while this is like the average person i do i will still maintain having a starling account which is a startup in its own self but i won't trust it alone so the reason why I would say this is a pain in the backside is when you have a business account, most more times than not, it's not free. Like for example, I looked at HSBC, which is a prominent bank in the UK. They charge you, man. They like to, to, for your own money. Like you, like they'll charge you like a grand a year, for example, just to access. Like it's crazy, and that's why I was like, oh, let me look for one of these like new startup banks. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a small time entrepreneur with a small team. I can't afford that. But now it's like, well, actually, if that's going to mean my money's more secure, it is worth it. That's what I'm paying for. I'm paying for stability here. So I think that's definitely one of the ripple effects. I hope there is no more cascading events where more banks go out of business we definitely don't need that and if that is the case that is worrisome and that's going to affect everyone i think in the long run forget entrepreneurs but let's see let's see i definitely would advise most founders to open up multiple accounts and to and wherever you're listening to this figure out what is the limit that the government will back you in the uk it's 85k and in america it's 250 but if you're some if you're listening to this in france i don't know what that is (laughs) so do your own homework and make sure that your shit is secure because the reality is i think most of us can accept losing if our product wasn't right if our customer service was rubbish if you know if we weren't helping the consumer but to lose because of something like that it's very difficult to swallow so do all you can to kind of cover your ass basically got it it's time to get out of spreadsheets with hubspot crm get real-time data at your fingertips so your team stay in sync across the customer journey track your contacts and customers send personalized emails in bulk and get the context you need to create amazing experiences for your teams and your customers at scale all from one powerful platform it's why more than 150,000 companies already use HubSpot CRM to run their businesses better. Plus, HubSpot's user-friendly interface sets you up for success from day one, so you can spend less time managing software and more time on what matters, 
your customers. There's no better time to get organized. Get started for free at HubSpot.com. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, so one kind of thing that I want to definitely add is that there was an article that came out pretty soon after all this ish happened in the Wall Street Journal that essentially threw out a little subliminal disc by basically saying if Silicon Valley Bank wasn't so worried about being inclusive and quote unquote wokeness by worrying about having women on the board, black people on the board, all these initiatives, then maybe this wouldn't have happened in it. So this is obviously a yeah, this is mad disgraceful. This was doing the rounds in all my, you know, my group chats and whatever, whatever. Like people couldn't even believe. Essentially, they tried to do this whole flipperoo where <laughs> the bank acted up, made a mistake and acted foolishly. And then basically they were like, yeah, it's black people's fault. Basically, that's basically what they tried to do. They Some really tried to, people. yeah, it's, yeah, it's basically, it's those people's fault. They messed up. You know what I mean? And don't look at us, you know, VCs who behaved irresponsibly. Don't look at the government for not regulating banks properly. You know, don't look at us VCs for who are begging for a bailout now. It's basically anyone who tries to do anything progressive and tries to help out marginalized communities. And that's a trip. And I saw a lot of founders, a lot of black founders go out there and make statements. I think Morgan, the founder of Blavi, he made a statement um, of Blavi Afrotech and Travel Noir. She came out and was like, yo, that ain't right. I don't know if she banked with Silicon Valley Bank, but yeah, I think more founders have to start being more prominent and just saying, yo, you can't, you can't try that, man. That's, this, this ain't on us. Do you know what I mean? Because you're actually trying to bully other large organizations now into not supporting, you know, initiatives because then what's going to happen? Oh, you took your eye off the ball. This is why you failed. We're not going to back you because, you know, you're distracted. This is, these, are not, these are not distractions. These are vital things to help your company be more healthy and inclusive. I don't see what, why it's a contradiction. But yeah, I had to speak on that because that, that was, I was like, nah, that's, that's insane. I think that pretty much covers it really. Okay, cool. So that pretty much covers the whole SVB thing. I hope, Olivia, I was off some help. I hope the audience also enjoyed this kind of breakdown. Me and Abba did actually record like some stuff like a couple of weeks ago that I think is really helpful to like what's going on now. It's a very UK centric story, but it's about how immigration policy in the UK is a distraction and how politicians are very good at weaponizing what Abadesi calls rage bait, which is like the, the precursor to like clickbait. Rage bait is basically like, let me, let's throw something that will make you pissed off and distract you from the real situation. Anyway, I won't spoil it. Abadesi will break it down in the due, in due course. Let's play that. Okay, so in the 90s, this term clickbait came up for, you know, the emergence, or maybe it was even the noughties, I don't know, but the emergence of content that was provocative for the sake of grabbing your attention, getting you onto the webpage, giving them the clicks, giving yeah. them the engagement for their ad revenue. These are media platforms, brands, whatever. And I think BuzzFeed is peak clickbait. Which Disney princess yeah. are you? If you're a dog breed, which would you be? I mean, shout out to the writers though, because it's genius. Like, I spent a lot of my lunch breaks and <laughs> probably working hours of my 20s on BuzzFeed. <laughs> 
So what I recently discovered, and it's been really big on, on TikTok, you know, especially TikTok food videos is rage bait. It's actually my husband that taught me about this phrase. I didn't even know about it. So I was on TikTok and I was watching someone doing a recipe, quotation marks. And the recipe was like, they squeezed out a tube of beef. They covered the dry, you know, the dry noodles of ramen in the beef. Then they got out a pot of peanut butter. And before I even saw what happened next, I was like, I refuse. I refuse. But (laughs) what I didn't realize was a lot of people now are creating content purely to provoke rage <laughs> yeah, to get people angry so like one really famous one you might have seen as a woman again my husband showed me this so i should you know give him a shout out a woman takes a like goes to a flatbed truck one of those big flatbed trucks in america and like basically cooks like a million pack of noodles in it and she's like put plastic bags around her shoes and she's like stepping in the flatbed oh, pouring all days. the ingredients in and everyone's like what the hell this is disgusting and it was supposed to be that she was going to go and feed all these homeless people it was just all made up it was just a way to like get followers get clicks get likes and get money on her page. So I was thinking about this controversial video that came out from the UK government about migrants, people who are, you know, emigrating to the UK, trying to get status here, citizenship status, asylum status, whatever it is, arriving on boats, and how the government wants to stop the boats. And this is their new big thing, their new big campaign, which of course caused a lot of outrage. I think the best tweet I saw on this was like, oh, I was just thinking about a time many years ago when British people took their boats to other countries grabbed a lot of shit, brought it back here. That's really interesting. But anyway, back to Swallow Braverman's announcement. Look, I'm living in the UK right now. I'm walking through the supermarket. I'm very aware that my pound doesn't go as far as it used to go. I'm walking through my streets. I'm noticing a lot more people sleeping rough than there were before. I'm hearing things. I'm noticing things that show me the government ain't doing the best job it could to Mm. run this country. And a part of me just felt, are the conservatives now doing rage bait? Are they Mm. using this clip as a way to steer the conversation towards something that they know people love to talk about? Everyone loves to talk about immigration. Everyone likes to fight about it. Whichever side of the debate you're on, you're going to get passionate. You're going to have emotions. And you're going to be talking about that more than you're going to be talking about the rising cost of energy, the lack of food at food banks, the lack of heating in primary schools, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I agree. I think to those of us on the kind of left, it's rage bait. To those of those people who vote for the Conservative Party and are really on board with those anti-immigration policies, it's, you know, it's red meat for the base, basically. Like, oh my God, we love it. And mm-hmm. we was talking on text, actually, about the irony of how now, like, a lot of conservative political parties are now using black and brown faces to get into those leadership positions to push for policies that, without those faces, would not be sellable. The fact that you can get the first South Asian prime minister, the first kind of South Asian home secretary to go on there and say, yo, if you come in this country... We're turfing you. You cannot claim asylum here. We're sending you to Rwanda, basically, in a holding cell, essentially. If you had probably two you know, two white politicians, it would come across a lot more racist, even though it is categorically racist. But when it's two brown faces, you're like, it muddies the water to a lot of people. And I think that is actually where kind of where white supremacy is kind of ingenious in the sense that like it can leverage representation to push for policies that harm black and brown people disproportionately. Yep. And at the same time, be like, hold on, what are you talking about? We've got a black or brown prime minister. How dare you complain, basically, right? Absolutely. And that is kind of like the short, the shortcoming sometimes of just representation because it's just like, what are you doing when you're there? I don't care if we've got a black person who's in charge of Enron, who's in charge of, you know what I'm saying, Lockheed Martin. You want to drop bombs on, on Yemen and Africa and whatever. It doesn't make a difference to me what the color of the person is. What are the policies? Exactly. Do you know what I'm saying, isn't it? So Absolutely. Yo, everyone, thank you for listening to this week's Techish. It's been me, Michael Payne, and... 
producer Olivia who's been super helpful when helping me do this solo episode and, and asking the questions that I think a lot of people wanted to know catch us next week for a full normal episode of Techish where it'll be me and Abba breaking down the latest goings on catch you next week peace Hey everyone, I'm really excited to talk to you about a brand new product launch from Hustle Crew. If you head to hustlecrew.co forward slash academy, you can start accessing our inclusion and career skills training for free. And if you want to buy it for your team from just $19.99 a month, join teams like Amazon, Meta and Airbnb who have all taken our training in order to level up their inclusion skills so they can ensure that bias is not impacting their work, whether they're working on hiring, product design or anything at all. With new courses added every quarter, you can not only become a better ally, you can show up with confidence and competence at all work scenarios like negotiations, public speaking, presenting, building up your side hustle. So head to hustlecrew.co forward slash academy now and start your free trial.